perfect. And uh, for what I think the Lord wants to say to you and to me out of the 23rd Psalm. I've told you this story before. Some of you will remember it. When I was a boy, my dad was an American football coach at the local high school. And for me, a small boy, it was the coolest thing in the world. I love sports, and my dad was the football coach. And sometimes he would take me down to the school, and, and any time we would go down to the school, he would put this big giant ring of keys on his belt. And we would go down to the school, and my dad could unlock every door, right? There was no door we came to that my dad couldn't unlock. And, and to me, as a small boy, this was like a dream come true. Say, Dad, I want to go in the gym and play basketball. No problem. Jimmy Jr., bam, the door's unlocked. Dad, I want to go down to the workout room and jump on the trampoline. No problem, Jimmy Jr., bam, right? So he not only had the keys, he had the authority to open the door for me. Dad, I want to go play out uh, in the stadium on that huge field in, in the midst of that huge stadium, which to me was huge. It probably held 6,000 people, but to me it was huge. No problem, Jimmy Jr. Bam, and I was in. And sometimes people would catch me playing where no child should be playing, and they didn't know who I was, and they would question me, why are you here, son? Uh, you're not supposed to be here. And I would say, my dad is the head football coach of the high school, and it was all good, right? I guess most of you already know where I'm going with this. You know who holds every key in this life? Not only in this life, but in death, He holds every key and He has the authority to use those keys. I, I was thinking as I was meditating on the text this afternoon, there's this text and I think it's Revelation chapter 3 where God says, I have put an open door before you that no man can shut. God has blown open every door. I'm not saying we don't struggle. I'm not saying that we don't have to grapple with real life. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying our God is sovereign and He reigns in life and in death and He has every key. And He has all of the authority. In my very, very small world as a little boy who just wanted to play, my father could open every door and I could play wherever I wanted because I was my father's son. And in my very, very grown-up world, as a man who really just wants to live his faith huge, my, my heavenly Father holds every key and He has opened every door that I might radically live my faith. And that's what I'm calling you to in 2016. I always call you to this is because nothing else really matters. Some of you sitting here don't know Christ. That matters. You've you got to know Christ. When we sing these songs, you've got to feel it in your heart. You've got to love Him. He doesn't call you to be a church member and a churchgoer. He calls you to be a disciple. He calls you to love Him. He calls you to do His Word. This is what He calls us to. He calls us to it and then He opens every door so we can do it. 
We have all that we need, beloved. We have all that we need. My earthly father was the head football coach of the North Little Rock Charging Wildcats. It was very cool. <laughs> my heavenly father is my creator, redeemer God. And he rules and reigns the cosmos. It is very awesome. It's what David's talking about. David wrote this psalm in his later years. He had walked many paths with God. And David is saying to you and he's saying to, I, and to me that your God has every key. You have no excuse to be intimidated in the world. You can live your faith huge and you can die well. It's what David is saying to us. Let me just summarize that for you as we get into the text. In the 23rd Psalm, in every situation, my Heavenly Father has the keys. Verses 1 and 2, to experiencing temporal and spiritual contentment and rest. My Heavenly Father has the keys, verse 3, to knowing the exhilaration of righteous living. My Heavenly Father has the keys, verse 4, to possessing courage in the face of extreme trials, even death. My Heavenly Father has the keys, verse 5, to absolute confidence in the face of enemies. My Heavenly Father has the keys, verse 6, to unqualified assurance of an eternal inheritance. Our God holds every key in life and death. He holds all authority in life and death. In Psalm 23, the love, goodness, kindness, trustworthiness, faithfulness, attentiveness, power, and sovereignty of our God is on display. You have no limitations in 2016 except the ones that you put on yourself. You say, Jim, I'm not much of a disciple in the world. I'm going to tell you it's on you. If you're not a much of a disciple in the world, it's on you. God has given you everything you need. Oh, you do know you're, you're indwelt by the third member of the Trinity, right? You remember that? <laughs> you have all that you need. You have everything you need to be a Paul-like Christian. In the world, you have all that you need. And so I lovingly say to you, if, if you're not living it radical, if you're not a disciple, if you're not a visible disciple, if that's not the aroma of your life, I'm telling you, it's on you. You've decided, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. I want to call myself a Christian, but I will not go there. It might be hard. I might be embarrassed. People might make fun of me. I'll be out of touch. The culture will think I'm a knuckle-dragger. Whatever your excuse may be. What I'm trying to say to you is, you can go there in 2016. You should go there. You must go there in 2016. As some of you already know, my son sat down on the couch at 39 years of age, about 90 days ago, he never got up. You don't know how long you have. Every day is a stewardship. Every day is a gift. Oh, I'm going to get my 80 years. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you get 39 years. 
Maybe that's all you get. Life's too short, beloved. It's just simply too short. This liberty and freedom and license that we have, we are the adopted children of God. Many of you are familiar with Romans 8.15. I'm going to read it to you from Eugene Peterson's paraphrase. This is not the Word of God. It is a paraphrase. But it's the Message Bible. Peterson writes, the resurrection life you've received from God, it's not a timid, grave-tending life. It's an adventurously expectant life greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? Amen? What's next, Papa? 2016. What's next, Daddy? What are we going to do? Jimmy Jr., you tell me. What do you want to do? Jesus, I want to walk with you. Bam! I got the key. Jesus says, I got the key. Bam! You can do everything I call you to, Jim. You can live radically for me. You can be a disciple for the few moments you have on this planet. Souls will be saved through the work I do in you. People will be in heaven because I did a work through you. You're part of that. Not much, Jim. Not much. You're not much of a part of it. I'm doing all the heavy lifting, but I'll use you in it. <laughs> it's big stuff, beloved. This is eternal. And big, what's next, Papa? I hope that's your attitude as you look into 2016. As El Shaddai's sons and daughters, whether in great blessing or great trial, abundance or loss, gladness or grief, jubilation or sorrow, we cry out, Abba, Father, what's next, Papa? In the 23rd Psalm, David is using the shepherd sheep metaphor for God and His people. There's a ton of meaning there, but we understand that it goes even deeper, doesn't it? We're not simply sheep. We are adopted sons and daughters. We have been brought into the, the family of God. It's an amazing thing. It's a father-child relationship. But there's a powerful, powerful message for us in this shepherd metaphor that we're going to look at tonight. One more comment before we get into the verses. I want you to notice that David does not use we, us, or they. He uses my, me, and I. This is a very, very personal psalm. This is what David's learned about God. And I hope we go to school on what David's learned about God. I hope we go to school and I hope we're free in 2016. I hope we're free in 2016. To live our faith huge and be ready to die well. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Um, David, who knew all too well the rigors and costs and dangers of being a shepherd, he learned that God is the ultimate kind of shepherd and how God cares for and provides for and defends His people. David understood the commitment of being a shepherd. It was a rigorous, demanding, sometimes dangerous occupation in the ancient world, sheep are arguably the most stupid animals on the planet. <laughs> they cannot even find food and water on their own. And they must be protected. They are defenseless. 
Do you get the metaphor? Do you understand how much you need your shepherd? Do you understand how much you need your shepherd? Some of you live like you don't need him. Some of you live like you're autonomous from him. You, listen, if you're going to be a real disciple, you've got to have him every second of every day, 24-7. It's just how it works. It's just how Christianity works. It's just how it works. You may remember when David wanted to go fight Goliath and Saul said, you can't go fight him. You're just a kid, man. You're a punk. You can't do that. And what did David say? He'd been a shepherd. What did he say? I've killed a lion and I've killed a bear. I'm not worried about this guy. I tell you that because I want you to understand this is what a shepherd does. And do you remember? How many of you remember John chapter 10? What did Jesus say about Himself? What did He say? I'm the good shepherd. And I lay down my life for my people. I do it of my own initiative. It's my initiative. No man takes my life. I do it. I'm the shepherd. I save my people. From eternal damnation, I save them. I save their souls. It's what I'm doing. It's how I love them. This is a powerful, powerful, powerful metaphor. Jesus is the good shepherd. The kalos. The Greek is kalos. It means beautiful. He's the beautiful shepherd. He's the excellent shepherd. He's the eminent shepherd. The choice shepherd. The surpassing shepherd. The precious, commendable, admirable, magnificent, competent, able, praiseworthy, noble shepherd. And this is Christianity. It's John 10. I tell you this all the time. It probably comes up in my preaching four or five, six times a year. But this is my shorthand definition of conversion. Jesus says, I know my sheep. I know them. My sheep know me. I call my sheep by name. My sheep hear my voice. And what do the sheep do? Someone tell me. They go to church. Is that what He says? What does He say? My sheep what? They follow me. I think I've shared this with you a couple of weeks ago, but I saw on, on Facebook a friend of mine posted, he's a pastor, he posted a, a, a video of, of sheep that were out there, you know, doing what, they, what sheep do. And we have some friends from New Zealand here. They, they, they know about that. And uh, they're, they're touring. They know they have a lot of sheep there. And, uh, and so the, 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 the sheep are just eating the grass, right? And so they, 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 one at a time they put somebody up there to call the sheep who are, who's not the shepherd, right? And so you know what the sheep do. They never even look up. They just keep eating. And then finally the shepherd calls them. Bam! They do, all of them, every sheep in the field does exactly the same thing in unison. They go. And they go. It's what Jesus is saying. That's who you're supposed to be. I ask you, is that who you are in Christ? Or do you allow almost everything else in the world to trump Jesus Christ? Does your career come first? Does your relationships come first? Do your children come first? Does your spouse come first? Nothing comes first! Nothing comes first. And as we love Jesus preeminently, then we are able to love our spouse as we ought. We're able to love our kids as we ought. Etc. Etc. One thing I noticed in my study, and this 
this will impress you. You'll realize just what an awesome theologian I am. That, that Psalm 23 follows Psalm 22. Um, I think I pointed this out to you last time we talked about Psalm 23. Why is that, why is that important? What's described in Psalm 22? Does anybody remember? It's the crucifixion of Jesus. He is the Good Shepherd. He's laying His life down for His sheep. And David says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. That's really what the the best translation is not want. It's lack. I shall not lack. There's a huge difference between want and need. Amen? Karen and I talk about this a lot. (laughs) Husbands and wives talk about these things. Is that a need or is that a want? You know, when we spend the, the church's money, we're, 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 the, the elders are saying, is that a need or is that a want? Do we need that? There's a huge difference. God's not saying you're going to get every temporal desire that you, you may have in your heart. He's not saying that. He's saying you'll never lack anything you really need to be my child. You'll never lack anything. He said, you know, God says, I'm, I'm bringing you into conformity with my son. You'll never lack anything as I bring you into conformity with my son. Then he says in Philippians 1, he talks about how he will complete the good work he's begun. You'll not lack anything that God has purposed to give you as he completes that good work. We have no real lack. The Christian has no real Lack. Psalm 84.11, No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. Some of you may remember back in the spring of 2015, one of our families in our home church uh, back in Little Rock, an EF4 tornado came through and killed her husband and two of her nine children. And I saw a picture of the house. There was nothing there but a slab of concrete. And when I'm studying the 23rd Psalm, I'm thinking of her. Her name is Carrie Tittle. And we have seen her several times since then. And I can tell you this. She has been in deep grief, but she does not lack. She does not lack. God is her consolation. God is is her supply. The Lord is my shepherd. I do not lack. The second thing is true because the first thing is true. He's my shepherd. He's my shepherd. I've given Him my complete and total and utter allegiance. I go with Him. It doesn't matter. I go with Him. It doesn't matter what it looks like. I follow Him. Verse 1 is meant to attack and destroy anxiety. And I know... Listen, I, I counsel with, with, you, with you folks and, and, I, and I know you're just like me that anxiety comes on you. It comes on all of us. But God has repeatedly told us to throw it off. We're to throw off anxiety. Why do you worry about your life and what you should eat and what you should drink and what you should wear? Matthew chapter 6, God knows you need this stuff. Stop worrying about it. 2016, don't worry about it anymore. Do you believe He's sovereign? Do you believe He's the promise keeper? Do you believe He's able? Stop worrying about stuff. It's demeaning to God. It demeans, you call yourself a Christian, it demeans God that you entertain worry and anxiety. 
God means for when it, when it comes on you, God means for you to throw it off. Just, just throw it off. God, I won't entertain it. I give it to you, God. Help me. Help me, Lord. Psalm, pardon me, Philippians 4.19 God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. I love how that 19th century British uh, preacher said it, Charles Spurgeon, the Christian is beyond the reach of want. I love this. Beyond the reach of want for time and eternity. Beyond the reach of want for time and eternity. Psalm 37.16 David says, Better is the little of the righteous than the abundance of many wicked. Verse 2, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. I understand this well. This, the unique structure of this sentence. Did you notice? <laughs> he makes me lie down. <laughs> he makes me lie down. In the sovereign providence of God, sometimes He makes us lie down. I still remember in the 1980s, I was unemployed for, for six months, and I had a stay-at-home wife and uh, two kids, a dog, a cat, and two finches, and a mortgage. And I was pretty, uh, yeah, stressed out about it. And I went to my spiritual mentor, and he said, Jim, do you, have any, do you, do you lack anything? This is what he said to me, do you lack anything? And I said, no, Jim, I don't. I don't lack anything. The Lord was providing in, in several different ways. And uh, he said, lay down in that green pasture. I said, Jim, this doesn't feel like a green pasture. He says, trust me, it is. Lay down there and listen to God. I was out of work for six months. And uh, by the time my unemployment ended, I almost didn't want to go back to work because I had learned to, re to, to release my anxiety to, to God. And I had actually learned to, to, to delight in the Lord. And I would even unplug the phone in case of prospective employee would call me and I didn't want to talk to him, you know, while I was worshiping the Lord. Of course, some of my family didn't understand that. I get that. My point is, unemployment looked like a trial, but what it really was was, it was a green pasture. This is what I'm saying to you. This is what David is saying to us. This is what God is saying to us. Lay down. Lay down in the green pasture. Lay down. You're unemployed? Here's a good one. What's next, Daddy? You having trouble in your relationships? You having trouble financially? It's not going well with your spouse? What's next, Daddy? Adventurously expectant. I'm always expectant. You know, something that, that the Lord has taught me over the years is to be expectant. It can be really hard today. Am I going to look at this? Am I just going to focus on, on this hard stuff? Or am I going to look at God? And I, am I going to expect God's best in it? Even if I have to cry more. Listen, the true believer, we're not caught up with health, wealth, and prosperity. That's meaningless. It's, it's, it's the, the doctrine of demons. We don't do that. We don't entertain that. God is our reward. I'm in the trial. God, reveal Yourself to me. And I tell, you, I tell you this all the time. It's what God's doing in the trial. He hasn't abandoned you. He's coming to you. Just read the book of Job. He's coming. He's coming to you. 
You say, Jim, this is a hard spot. No, it's a green pasture. God is going to meet you there. I know that sounds hard. It's a biblical truth. It's a biblical truth. Karen read a book a year or so ago. It's called Anything. Jeannie Allen quotes a young friend of hers from church. Her name is Rachel. Rachel says, you have to thank God for the seemingly good and the seemingly bad because really you don't have any idea what God's doing. The trial has come. God's doing something. It's the way, Bible, it's, it's the way biblically literate Christians accept the trial. And we know that in the trial, God will teach us and God will change us and God will reveal Himself to us. Listen, the next time you're in the trial, don't waste it. Expect God to reveal Himself to you. Verse 3, He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. The Lord refreshes our soul. We understand this is part of regeneration. The New Testament teaches us that the Holy Spirit comes and we are born again. It's part of what's being said here. Our soul was dead, now it lives. He has restored life to the soul. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. But beloved, He's refreshing your soul in in the trial as well. Not simply at regeneration, not simply at the new birth, but God is always restoring and refreshing our soul. You know, people come to me a lot and they want to, they want to, they want counsel on different things, and I'm happy, always happy to counsel people. I do the best I can, and uh, try to give concrete steps. But the most important thing I say, and I've told you this many times, the most important thing I say to anyone is delight yourself in God. You're unemployed, delight yourself in God. You're having trouble in your marriage, delight yourself in God. You're having financial difficulties? Delight yourself in God. Look at God and be adventurously expectant. I'm not preaching health, wealth, and prosperity. I abominate that lie from hell. I'm not preaching that. I'm saying, look at God. Who wants a blessing when I can have the blesser? Right? I'm not going to settle for a mere blessing. I want God. I want God. I don't need some temporal blessing more than I want God. And of course, that's the, one of the great errors of that false gospel. Delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him. And He will do it. You know, when the unconverted ear hears this term, paths of righteousness... Uh, I think the unconverted ear hears boring religious performance, some church going, going, and maybe some moral rule keeping. I think that's what the unregenerate souls in here might be hearing. But the born again soul is hearing. <laughs> you know, the unregenerate soul hears outside in stuff. Well, I've got to perform. It's outside in stuff. The, the born again soul hears. This is inside-out stuff. And I'm going to let God flow through me. I'm going to let God flow through me. That's the paths 
of righteousness. God's calling us, you know, the paths of righteousness is not a burden. It's a joy. It's a pleasure. It's a privilege. It's perfect joy to walk with God. It's why the man sold all that he had that he might have Christ. Yes, the salvation of his soul. But to know God and to walk with God. The paths of righteousness. And did you notice, it's for His name's sake. It's not for the glory of man. It's for the glory of God. God saves His people for the glory of God. It's not about the glory of the preacher, the glory of the church, or the glory of the evangelist. It's about the glory of God. It's always about the glory of God. We said it at the outset. It was in the the music. God is the point. Jesus Christ is always the point. His name's sake. Seven times in the New Testament. Eleven times in the Old Testament. God does all that He does. Why? Someone tell me. You're supposed to know this. Why does God do all that He does? Because He's lonely and He wants to entertain Himself, right? Why does God do all that He does? For His glory! It's always for His glory! Your salvation is ultimately for His glory. It's for our joy and for His glory. He brings His people into the paths of righteousness for His glory. I'm going to ask you, are you glorifying God in your, in your daily life? Is that the number one priority when you wake up in the morning? Are you glorifying God? It's what He's called you to, beloved. It's what He saved you to be and to do. Even though, verse 4, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For You are with Me, Your rod and Your staff, they comfort Me. What a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful verse. But did you notice, again, another astute observation from your pastor. Um, the shepherd is taking the sheep through a hard place. So, so why would the shepherd be taking the sheep through a hard place? Someone tell me. It's kind of like the chicken in the road thing. Why is he doing it? To get to the other side? To get to a better place. You know, it's, why, it's like cheating. I tell people all the time, Christianity's like cheating. I don't have to sweat the small stuff. I don't have to wring my hands when the trial comes. God's taking me through and changing me, and He's bringing me to that better place, that deeper place of intimacy. Don't you know every trial is an invitation? Don't you know that every hard thing that God allows into your life, God is bringing you to Himself, and He is going to disclose Himself to you. The rod and the staff, it's God's defense. He is our defense. He is the warrior. Exodus 15.3. He is the warrior. He's the warrior shepherd. I think I've got to, I've got to read it to you. I, was, I came across it last week in, in my, just my reading. Zephaniah, you guys know Zephaniah 3, verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst. He's a victorious warrior. He will exalt over you with joy. He will be quiet in His love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. That's what's going on. Always. Hard day, easy day, fat day, lean day. It doesn't really matter. God is doing this in the Christian's life. Verse 5, You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. Two things I just want to point out here. The godly man will have enemies, right? We know this. 
It's what happens. Jesus says they hated Me, they'll hate you too. We don't want enemies. We don't like to have enemies. You never know what an enemy is capable of. I've had enemies in my life. And it's awful. You don't know what they might do. You don't know what slander they may spew. And then you find yourself embroiled in something and you find yourself sometimes having to defend yourself when you're completely innocent. Did you see what God says? I'm your banquet. <laughs> when the enemy surrounds you, I'm your banquet. The Lord prepares me before me in the presence of mine enemies a table. He anoints my head with oil. <laughs> it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. God is our protection. What's next, Papa? The enemies are surrounding me. What's next, Papa? What's next, Daddy? What awesome thing are you going to teach me about yourself next? Listen, you think God's going to waste His time on health, wealth, and prosperity? He's got infinitely more in store for you than that. And it's Him. It's Him. It's Him. Do you want Him more than you want health, wealth, and prosperity? Be honest with yourself. Do you want Him more than health, wealth, and prosperity? If you can't honestly say yes, you've got some serious business to do with God. In fact, I don't think you know Him. In fact, I don't think you've ever understood just how awesome Jesus Christ is. If you think health, wealth, and prosperity can compare to Him, in any way, in any context, in any universe. Psalm 118.5-6 From my distress I call upon the Lord. He answered me and He set me in a large place. The Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Verse 6 Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Forever, and I'm going to close Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this verse. I absolutely love it. It's the title of the sermon. God, your beauty and love chase after me every day. If some of you really believed that, you would live radically different. you would have a freedom and a courage to be who God has called you to be. Jesus says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Luke chapter 12, verse 32. So God, <laughs> He's way better than my dad. My dad was cool, man. He had every key. He could get, he, he, my, my dad reigned at North Little Rock High School. He ruled and reigned in the athletic department and everything in it was mine. Let me tell you, the God of the universe, <laughs> He rules and reigns in life and death and everything in the cosmos is yours. Every good thing is yours. There are no locked doors. 
in the kingdom of God for His sons and daughters. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 21 to 23. For all things belong to you, whether the world or life or death or things present or things to come or things, uh, all things belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. You're worried about health, wealth, and prosperity? Are you, are you kidding me? Are you serious? That's what makes your heart beat fast? If it's true, I lovingly call you to repent. Look at God and be satisfied in Him. And if health, wealth, and prosperity comes, praise God. If the opposite of that comes, praise God! What did Job do at the end of the book? He was on his face what? Worshipping! He began worshipping and he ended worshipping. It's what real Christians do. It's what biblically literate Christians do. We don't listen to the false teachers. We study the Bible. We study the Bible. Let me close with Isaiah 43, 1-3, and we're done. I just want to send you away with this. I want you to meditate on it. It's a beautiful verse. I love it. But now, says the Lord your Creator, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are Mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. I am your Savior. Beloved, all of you in this room that are converted, I call you to a huge life of faith in 2016. No excuses. No, no middle ground. Go with God. Go with God. Go with God. And here's a promise from a sinner. It'll be the best year you ever had. Here's a, it's a promise from a sinner who turned from his fear and went with God. I still have a long way to go. I'm not, saying I, I'm, not, I'm not saying I've arrived. I'm not saying that. I haven't arrived. I've got miles to go. But here's what I know. When you go with God, the joy comes. The life comes. The freedom comes. The power comes. The pleasure comes. <laughs> you, think, uh, you think sex is pleasurable? You think a lot of money's pleasurable? You think re renown and, 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 and fame is pleasurable? Walk with Jesus. You'll find out what the kind of pleasure you were truly made for. I've got to shut up. I could go on and on. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table tonight. Um, we have open communion here. If you have made a profession of faith in Christ and have followed Him in believers' baptism, even the baptism like we had here uh, a few weeks ago, people who've made a profession of faith and they submit themselves to, to uh, immersion baptism. It's what baptizo means on the pages of Scripture. That's what I'm trying to communicate to you when I talk about communion. There's a propriety to the Gospel. Belief in baptism. You come to the table. Open communion. If you have made that profession of faith in Christ and you have followed Him in believer's baptism, you are welcome to come to the table. We want you to come to the table. The way we do this is someone will come and play music for four or five minutes. You prepare your heart to come. Don't come to the table in an unworthy manner as Paul talks to the Corinthians about. 
If you've got unrepentant sin in your life and in your heart, you have no, in, no inclination to repent of it. You love your sin now more than you love Jesus. Don't come to the table. But if you love Jesus supremely, if He is your Lord, if He is your God, if He is your Savior, you come and celebrate what He did in your behalf. <laughs> it's what He tells us to do. Celebrate. Remember Me. Remember what I did. You come and you celebrate. So you prepare your hearts. During the music, when you're ready, come. Come and take the cup and take the bread. Go back to your seat. After the music ends, I'll stand and read a text and then we will partake. Prepare your hearts.